the deployment of these technologies are going to create a tremendous amount of digital exhaust in the form of data. That data is a corporate asset. You have to have a strategy for that. And there's a huge opportunity to turn those assets into something that you can financially exploit, but also recombine and create transformative business opportunities. You're listening to Pardon the Disruption with your host, Tom Young. Hi, everybody. Hey, welcome to the show. This is Tom Young. Let's go around the room. This is Bart Gallo. This is TJ Young. And this is Rohan Kapoor. Hey, thanks, guys. Hey, today we're going to have a uh, talk about a Gartner article that just came out uh, where they identify the top 10 data and analytics technology trends. So this is a, a subset of what we've seen in the past from like McKinsey's of the world and other groups where they've talked more broadly about the broad base of technology. This is really focused on data and analytics. And they, they release a lot of these each year focused on each kind of domain area. Right. So like 10 to 15 around January, February for the next coming year. And then the CIOs and their direct reports steal them and make PowerPoints about them. So I figured we can comment on it. Mm-hmm. So it, we read through the list. We discussed it a little bit quickly as a group. We're just going to walk through the list and comment on it a little bit. Uh, 10 probably seems like a little bit of a stretch. They're probably not all equal in terms of their importance. And some of them feel like they're made up to me. But uh, I'm sure Gartner has a reason for doing some of this stuff. So let's go. Let's just go right down the list because people are going to know what are some of these things if they read this report. A lot of people who might listen to this podcast subscribe to Gartner. So this is a – Gartner puts out a lot of good stuff. This would be interesting if they read this. will help deconstruct this a little bit. So the first one, augmented analytics. Uh, again, in a first – First read, it feels like they took two words and put them together. <laughs> it's so nice alliteration. Yeah. You'll see a lot of that in this article. It seems like they, I mean, Gartner, I think, sees themselves as the uh, arbiter of putting out some of these new terms anyway. So they can yeah. just recombine and send them out. A bit academic. This one, so I had, I had to look this up and I didn't know what, how this is different from just traditional data analytics more broadly. This is supposed to be what they call the third wave of data analytics in terms of disruption. So first wave was centralized data warehouses. As, you know, that's 25, 30 years ago. Second wave was not really a technology play, but more so a UI and accessibility play for the end user. And they called it the democratization of self-service analytics, right? So just getting more of the functionality in terms of a self-service interface. So the end user can just perform their, some basic functions themselves to, you know, pump out reports, uh, different visualization layers themselves. This is supposed to be uh, more disruptive in terms of the automation of what data scientists are doing today over the past two years. So yeah. d- data scientists focus on preparing and uh, the data itself, gathering it, kind of cleaning it up, picking what statistical models, right? When we talk about like machine learning, there's that's just a umbrella term for so, so many different models. If I, if I automated what a data scientist does, mm-hmm. that's what this is. Yeah. Exactly. It's the okay. automation of about 50% of what this data scientists do yeah. today. Yeah. And what happens with that is it's some of those initial preparatory steps are some of the hardest in terms of like the hard science. So the whole idea is there's a further democratization to make it easier for people to run their own analytics and produce insights. So we talked to Microsoft last year about the processing of digital exhaust. And they indicated that they would prefer it if you just put the hose into the lake and let the machine process it. So a lot of what data scientists do is they look at the data feeds that are going into a large pool or a large data warehouse, and they provide some data structure. So they they make it 
AI or machine learning or analytics ready. So they provide some level of organization. And what Microsoft is arguing, and again, I'm not sure I, I fully believe it, it's probably theoretical, but maybe I'm wrong, is that the machine learning and AI is much better and faster at organizing the data. And what this trend that Gartner's talking about is that, is automating that pre-preparation stage that allows the machines to go really fast on some of this stuff. And it's especially true when the data scientists become a limiting factor in your data science or your data analytics strategy. Go find, go try to hire a data scientist yeah. today. It's very hard to go do. Mm -hmm. And expensive. Yeah. So, all right. Trend number two. Aug augmented. <laughs> now, everyone's Everything, not augmented something. Everything's augmented. <laughs> the thing, my problem with naming everything augmented is what do we call it next year? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Double, double augmented. <laughs> right. I'll have a, a double augmented half calf. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, okay. So, this is uh, the second trend is trend number two augmented data management. So, is this. Is this effectively similar thing in, in, in terms of automating a lot of the uh, tasks, repetitive tasks that come with managing data, like quality, managing the database um, it, management system? To me, it seems like the dream of the data architect or the you know, IT architects of the world in terms of applying more of an intelligent dynamic system to manage the data management protocols mm. themselves. So right now, the from you know Fortune 500 companies that are living in the past, it seems like the architects are constantly picking up the pieces mm -hmm. and trying to integrate things together so we can, you know, enable the seamless flow of information. But that's not automatic. That people are doing that, and it just gets very complicated. And there are siloed data warehouses that just naturally sprout up. So this is supposed to be, you define the protocols, but have a system dynamically enforce them so that it's consistently uh, seamless and silos don't sprout up again. So. I want to simplify this because so we can deconstruct it a little bit. If the augmented analytics in trend one is the using machine learning and AI for the front end of data science, this is to me the using the same technologies on the back end. Mm -hmm. It's for the EIM layer, right? right. Okay, and EIM you mean EI uh, enterprise EIO. information management? Okay, sorry. Yeah, so it's 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 similar thing. Automation of some data science steps for the first one. This seems like automation of maintaining yeah the data management yeah. protocols. So no, simpler the back end. Yeah, it's the reporting mm -hmm. and access. Right. Okay. So let's go to trend number three: continuous intelligence. Again, two two words just thrown together. It sounds like versus stochastic intelligence. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So again, TJ, when we were talking on prepping for this, you mentioned that this is similar to um, like the Google car that takes 1 million data points per second and makes real-time adjustments, is that we will start to deploy AI systems to make this business decisions in real time by continuously updating the situation versus making it, oh, we ran the report on last month's data and here's our insight and we do that at their next meeting. This is real, more continuous and, and which allows for near real real time processing. So I guess the, the three that we've covered so far seem to be kind of the automation using uh, ML and AI techniques um, to manage the data, the data in the back end. The analyst that feeds then through to the uh, analytics which again, they've automated a lot of the mundane tasks that the data scientists currently perform, but kind of automating the analytics on the front end. And this is almost what comes out of 
right at the end of that it's it's basically the intelligence that is derived from the analytics which are done at a much faster more accurate once they get the hygiene right from the mm -hmm. first two and yeah. then you um uh are enable more of that the integrations necessary to get the real-time data flow so you yeah. go from passive to active yeah right so the and uh, uh in contrast to continuous you would say batch batch intelligence mm -hmm. and so they're making the distinction continuous intelligence and again so the first trend front-end processing second trend back-end processing of data now what this is saying that the deployment of the algorithms that look at this stuff is going to be moved from batch to continuous. Right. So right. If, the, if the if the analogy is the enterprise turns into the Google car, imagine like a supply chain yeah. company. Yeah. And uh, one that kind of takes in like weather data, uh, inventory levels from all the different centers, um, just so, even social is social media to have like their forecasting for demand for certain products. Imagine having all that come in, having an intelligent engine interpret it all, and kind of do dynamic routing and planning on the spot without humans involved. That's right. kind of the dream. It seems this is far away. They're saying by 2022, half of major businesses are going to be using this. I think it's very, um, it's just very aggressive. Right. Yeah. Fourth one. This should be fun. Explainable AI. Yeah. <laughs> um, trying to explain it. Go. Well, the, the, this is difficult because this gets into the notion of the artificial neural networks that are used in a lot of machine language, or machine learning rather. We don't really know how it works. And so you need to start to be able to explain how this works so that, for example, if I wanna put business controls in place, I cannot allow the AI to make business decisions if I can't understand and deconstruct how it's working. So let's go to the Google car as an example. How do we know when it makes a left-hand turn in traffic that, that it made a rational decision? We know we can, we can look after the fact and look at their metrics, but it's hard to determine how that works in a deconstructed way using if that then this kind of metaphor. And I think that's the uh, critics of this technology will use this as a, as a way to say, hey, we're not ready for this if you can't explain it. I think, Bart, we were just talking about this. I don't know if we're going to be able to keep up with the complicated nature, the complexity of AI, how advanced it's going to become, in a way that we can continuously explain the black box. Like Maybe we'll f figure it out this year, but it's going to double or quintuple in complexity by next year. Yeah, well, it's almost like if all of this effort and innovation is going into proliferating this technology that's capable of analysis that it acts in a realm that humans can't even participate in Aren't, are we just slowing down the progress by even needing to understand it and every every decision it makes every, every piece of analysis that goes into an ai informed decision to the degree that we need to understand and participate we're slowing down the decisions it could be making for us. It just seems like a barrier that we're forcing on ourselves. I mean, it's, it's at some point- Anthropomorphization the, problem. It's, it's, that, it's a social force that's causing this to, to even be included in Gartner's article. Yeah. But it, it just seems to me that, uh, what's the word here? Again, the fact that we're struggling to explain it is an issue. I mean, I'll just say, in order for this to go, if you think of the first two trends, we're going to automate the front end, the back end, and we're going to bring it continuous, which means we're going to bring it into decision making. It doesn't work if you can't explain it because the lawyers and the bureaucrats are not going to allow you to turn decision rights over to a software platform that is not explainable. Mm -hmm. If I don't know how, if it's a black box, 
and mm. inputs come out and outputs come out the other end. If I can't explain it, it will it will not be allowed to be put into production. The only issue is could you govern based on purely outcome based data? Mm. So if you can prove that it's performing based on the outcomes, even if it's a black box in the center, well, is that enough right. to convince? Well, what's adoption? the sample size that meets that you, requirement? You, you can, but it's a, a huge inhibitor. Oh, adoption. definitely, definitely. So, like an example would be a lot of money's on the line. Wall Street does it with high frequency trading. So they they allow the algos to trade and move lots of money around. So there's a tremendous amount at stake. What they have is the track record. I think, and I'm going to get this when Virtu Financial, Vinny Viola's company, the guy who owns one of the NHL teams in Florida, and then Trump put him in the. Secretary of the Army, he withdrew because his business interests were too entangled. Anyway, when they went public, they were a high-frequency trading firm. I want to say something like they had about 1,260 trading days prior to going public and 1,258 days up. So every day they were printing money. So their ability to take a risk was gated by the fact that by turning it on, they just printed money. So they could overlook the fact they couldn't explain it. So exactly. with, with autonomous driving, it's going to be how good is the track record over the past 10 years rather than... Until we get our first lawsuit. Right. But if you think about it, healthcare decisions. Will, will we even, from a regulatory perspective, will we even allow AI to make decisions? Diagnosis decisions? Uh, imagine uh, active surgery. Allowing, we talk about robotic-assisted surgery when we talk about some of our healthcare trends. But what if the rather than the surgeon acting remotely through uh, activators, that they invoke a subroutine and say, suture that. Mm -hmm. And will we allow those kind of things to happen? So there's a lot to talk about here. This is a business that ethics issue. Yeah, I think explaining it is a hurdle to adoption. All right, so let's look at the yes. next trend. Trend number five, graph. So this requires a little bit of explanation because it's not like... Uh, Graph paper. It's uh, it's it's more than that, right? <laughs> so this this one seems to me, and I think we kind of covered some of this when we talked about quantum computing when we were at IBM's uh, Think Conference around uh, graph analytics. Uh, seems to be a new analytic technique is the word that Gartner uses, but uh, it just seems like a new statistical approach to analyzing different data sets where there are complex multivariable relationships between the data sets. We're not just doing x x and y and z. We're doing uh, 10 or 20 different variables, and they're all uh, affecting each other dynamically over a time series. Uh, we were, I mean, the point we were making is that quantum, in terms of providing much more compute power, may enable some of those um, uh, just crunching of that data going forward. But this seems more like the statistical approach that could utilize that you know, underlying computing foundation. Yep. So I think good examples that um, I, I read about are social networks, Mm. is a good one where there's a, a lot of complex dependencies in the data between you know me my friends my friends connections that are also connected to me um and then that kind of moves into another area which is fraud fraud um fraud detection um again there's a lot of different uh complex dependencies within that data pool um where something like graph uh, so, uh, analysis can word use. clouds uh, the neural ontologies we see when we do, do some deconstruction of language relationships, when you yep. when you move from natural language processing, which is coming up as one of the ones, those use graphical representations of data 
And this is the analytics that go around looking at those graphical representations to understand deeper insights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so fair enough. All right, so let's go to the next one because that's a, uh, and you can start to see a theme here yeah. developing, right? Mm -hmm. Front end, back end, automating it going forward, getting the ethics right, and now helping us understand, think of the analytics of the output of this, right? So before we were, the data scientists were processing the data and doing the analytics themselves. We're automating that, the front end to the back end. We're putting in a presentation layer. We're letting the AI do a lot of the work. And now we're doing the analytics on the AI. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's how this is building out. So it's one, two, three, four, five. Now let's go to the next one, data fabric. And I think we were bleeding into this on the second one. The second one was augmented data analytics. Mm -hmm. uh, I think data fabric is the structure we were referring to in terms of the elimination of silos and having that seamless access and visibility to any data that you want across an organization, no matter how complex. And I think the difference, I mean, at least in my mind, that number two was, was the application of the automation required to maintain it. Because the issue is, oh, we, we finally have a new data management uh, protocol network, a new taxonomy, but it just becomes bastardized and gets destroyed and siloed as the company changes. So number two is saying we need automation to maintain it. What are we maintaining? The data fabric, mm. the mesh. Well, and also understanding that once we do, the, if, you, if you think of these in order, I'm starting to operate at machine speed. Right. right. So I, I need a, uh, in, in hardware architecture, they'll talk about data buses, right? And how wide is your data bus to be able to do throughputs for processing. Data fabric is, a, is, is using that similar concept for business terms. You have to eliminate the friction and the seams and the silos so that you can interact and share the data, syndicate the data, if you will, across a wide base without the friction. And the friction could be approvals, uh, interface points, et cetera. But you need to, if you're going to do this stuff at real time with machine speed and, and, and continuous AI, you need to be able to exchange data at a rapid rate. So is this the design, a design piece? Design and designing the infrastructure? Well, in, in, yes. So in, it's more structural, the, I think right? that more on the data architecture itself. Yeah. yeah. But it, yeah. it ties into our reference architecture that we use for mm -hmm. clients around the enterprise service bus. Mm -hmm. i take that concept. We use the term ESB broadly than the term enterprise service bus is widely used in the industry. But what we really mean by that is magic middleware. It's mm -hmm. the, the pub sub or the publication subscription model for data in the widest possible sense, okay? Number seven, NLP and conversational analytics. So I think this one is probably uh, something that's a bit more accessible to the average person. This is supposed to be the cognitive virtual assistants that we deal with every day and the resulting data that flows from those systems and the analytics that come from that as well. So you could think Siri very basically. I think we would argue that that's not really true cognitive. It's just a chatbot. Mm -hmm. But uh, more advanced systems are being deployed at the enterprise level, especially, especially if you're interacting with banks and certain financial institutions and you can kind of tell you're not really talking to a human but it's very capable yeah and it seems like there's a lot of predictions out there in the media that uh even for a lot of uh consumer grade products people are going to start engaging with their day-to-day -day technology through voice more and more right rapidly that's why the the voice to text text to voice and we, we bring that up all the time is so important so the, in the trend here as i read this it's not so much the NLP is as much as this is making what's being done in these first six trends accessible, right? If I have to be a PhD in something, this becomes inaccessible, mm -hmm. right? 
So when we talk about data fabric or uh, or graph or even the ex, uh, explainable AI, those are at some level democratization trends, right. like, which are trends to make this widely available. But if you make it widely available, but it's a Rubik's cube and nobody can use it. So the conversational and NLP is a, is the ability for me to, to simply say this magic system that happens, I can simply just ask it, ask it questions mm -hmm. and say, what's going on with sales in the Northeast? Yeah. Right. Why, why is the pricing trends in the Midwest changing when I do a product launch? Right. Whatever. And those kinds of queries then giving a reasonable answer out at the back end. So imagine if we've got the machines doing a lot of this stuff. Uh, well, let's, let's say it another way. I'm taking the people out of the process in the first few trends. But I but those are the people I used to talk to. <laughs> right. And if I take them out and I require that the conversations now to be through a command line interface where someone has to know Unix shell scripts, then we've eliminated the democratization trend of right. this stuff. So now I'm saying if I'm going to take the people out of the process to an extent, I need to provide an NLP interface so I can still talk to the machine the same way I talk to the people. Mm -hmm. And your same point to the, to the first trend, augmented analytics, instead of taking people out of the process, it's extending a bridge forward so that we can eliminate the shortage of data scientists here today. Yep. Yeah. If it's a lot easier to learn, then that solves the labor shortage that a lot of companies right. have around data science. Mm -hmm. Trend number eight, commercial AI and machine learning. So Any takers. <laughs> I, as we get down the list, I, I think it, it gets more difficult for them to come yeah. up with 10. But this is really the same, uh, to me, going back to the open APIs, open source technology. We did some work with, or conversations with IBM. They're making Watson accessible through open APIs. Microsoft's doing the same thing with their Azure platform. Uh, Wipro's doing it with Holmes. So there's a lot of people the, are out there pushing open source to try to make the ecosystem available for other people to use on a smaller scale or micro scale. And they're saying here, I just want to get this line right. So Gunnar predicts that by 2022, 75% of new end user solutions leveraging AI and ML techniques will be built with commercial solutions rather than open source platforms. And I think the what they're trying to say here is that the commercial solutions are becoming, like you said, are adapting some of those open source protocols but they're trying to say, hey, buy into our platform. This is, this is their commercial play to get involved here. I don't know mm -hmm. if I agree with this one. I, I, was, I, was, I was surprised by this when they said that. Well, understand that, well, I'm gonna make a, I don't wanna be, Gartner's business model is that, you know, they're heavily funded by the people who have a vested interest in the statement, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Um, I. It, it, to their defense though, I would say, if you're gonna say it's, a, it's more commercial than open source, which I don't necessarily agree to, but I was saying, if it is that way, it's because people are looking for a solution. They're not looking for the building blocks. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, that, so that's, a, that's a debate. That makes sense. Whether it's 75% or some other number, it's going to be a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. Trend number nine, blockchain. This one won't go away. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's going to go away. It's just gotten bad press because of the Bitcoin stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, I'll remind people that Bitcoin is significantly up in the last two years. It just had a... Interesting ride a year ago. <laughs> so some of us are a little poor as a result of buying Bitcoin when it was 19500 I didn't quite buy in there. But I hope nobody did that. <laughs> I but, know a few people who did. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I, I bought it when it was over 10000 but I also bought it when it was under three. So 
Uh, I think it's four. It hit forty two hundred this week. And anyway, this is a. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but blockchain is the main application that people think about. I'm sorry, Bitcoin is the main application that people think about. They think about blockchain, but blockchain is a way when we start to deploy data to maintain data integrity and, and across companies. So as as yeah. the first eight trends kind of extend and advance you'll see companies that have optimized internally start to extend some of those learnings to broader networks. And I think this is where blockchain really applies, you know, across potentially parties that don't trust each other, yep. or just to, you know, maintain the protocols and the data sharing relationships across companies and entities. Mm -hmm. but this, is an, this is an important one because I, as soon as we start to give the machines the access to manipulate data stores, we need to protect its integrity. And the blockchain allows for the activities to be locked in an immutable ledger. Mm -hmm. And so to me, the regulators, this is gonna be a critical component. So we, I tie this one back to the explainable AI. This is a regulatory component that's gonna drive how fast we're gonna be able to adopt this stuff. And then trend number 10 is persistent memory servers. Sponsored by, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I, I was a little surprised by this one. I, I don't know too much about persistent memory. I thought they're saying that this is going to be the new uh, adoption trend over in memory. In memory, and the only brand I can think of, top of my head, is SAP HANA. Uh, and I was just, I thought that was a future. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I just, this is more so a hardware storage issue, though. It's, it seems it's not very kind of out of my ballpark. Yeah. It's, they, this is the first one they've tied to cost as well. Um, who knows? Sponsored ad. It's. Uh, they're having the meeting at Gardner. They had come up with nine cool <laughs> yeah. trends. And the, so guy, the guy sitting in the back of the room says, hey, I got this guy who will sponsor number 10. If we, uh, Let's see if it's a company. All right. It's fine. We, we shouldn't make fun of Gardner. They do a lot of good work. It's just fun. To, it's it's a hard to come up with a list of 10 for anything, let alone a narrow topic like data and analytics. What do you guys think? I uh, To me, I think we're we're pushing this in our conversations with clients this year, that yeah. they need to start thinking about the data that's in their environment mm -hmm. as a corporate asset. The the most important ones from this list, in my opinion, were number one, number six. It's just yeah. the, uh, making analytics more accessible, which means more people doing it, it get, becomes more advanced. And then number six is really the data fabric. Without that foundation, none of this none of this can scale. Yeah, where I I think data's going to be start, as I mentioned before, thinking it more like a corporate asset as opposed to an effect of things we do. Yes. So you think of the IoT deployments are going to, in 5G, we're going to talk about 5G. Uh, Friday. Friday we're talking about that. Uh, we've got a good debate on that. But the deployment of these technologies are going to create a tremendous amount of digital exhaust in the form of data. That data is a corporate asset. You have to have a strategy for that. Mm -hmm. And... There's a huge opportunity to turn those assets into something that you can financially exploit, but also recombine and create transformative business opportunities. But to ignore it or to simply let it fall on the floor, which a lot of people do, uh, metaphorically, let it fall on the floor. They just don't do anything with it or they ignore it uh, is the mistake. And I think Gartner's right to put out uh, a top 10 list here to get people thinking about it. Yeah. But I think you, rather than 
lock in on the 10, mm -hmm. use the 10 the way we just did to think about things and then frame your own mind about how it is meaningful to your organization. Yeah, I think there's definitely obviously an overwhelming con uh, over the last 20, 30 years as, as um, pretty much everything we know is getting digitized and creating that digital exhaust. I think there's a bit of a misconception that I think everyone knows collecting that data and analyzing it is going to have a really uh, significant impact to their company's growth. But I think it's understated how difficult uh, how difficult it is to actually go through that. And some, you know, number one, number two, where we're looking at, uh, we talked about some of the tasks that the data scientists do on a day-to-day -day basis. I think people maybe either don't know or don't have that insight into some of their tasks as well. Are so repetitive, trying to get this data right. So I think um, some of the trends that they put up there. Um, is certainly going to make it a lot easier. Right, freeing those resources time to do even more valuable right. work. What are they going to be able to do when they free up that right. time? Right. So one of the offers that we're going to put out uh, when we when we go talk to clients uh, in this quarter is really going to market with your data footprint and yeah. saying, "Am I thinking about this right? Mm -hmm. Am I exploiting the data right? Am I uh, leveraging it to improve my back office, but also more importantly, the front office?" Uh, and again, I think front office strategies relative to this are, let's just, if we had a choice to work on the back office or the front office, the front office has positive energy. The back office to me has negative energy. Yeah. Right? I'm going to come, I'm going to well, cut costs. I'm cheaper well, there's there's no ceiling to yeah. the potential of the front office innovation and the back office you're racing to the floor. Good way yeah. to say it. Good mm -hmm. way to say it. But to me, it's, it, those are true, but to me, it's, it's just the pot. There's a lot of positive energy over over the consulting career I've had over the last 25 years. There's a lot there's a lot of work that's in what I'll call in the negative energy realm, which is uh, something that has to be done. If you don't do it, you you can't sustain in the marketplace. But reducing headcount, reducing cost, those are things that need to be done. But they're, they're negative energy. Driving new revenue markets and new transformation opportunities or new access to to new things. Those are all positive. And I think the front office and data are going to drive that. And I think it's important for people to really think through some of these trends and how it applies to their business. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Bart, you put up a list of We're brought general. to you by uh, Gartner. So. Uh, this was just a summary list of okay. what we just went over. Well, this is good. I think th th this is a this is a nice top 10 list. Narrow that We should talk about some top 10 lists in some other areas in some of our future shows because I think uh, – People are looking for some deconstruction on some of this advanced technology. As we talk about in our briefs, this nonlinear world is rapidly pulling away from what people are commonly mm -hmm. knowledgeable about. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is is move people a couple notches up on that ladder so they can get they can at least see what's happening on the top of the curve. Yep. Any Good. other parting comments? Good. Great. Very good. Right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. Pardon the disruption. If you enjoyed our discussion, I'd invite you to head over to our homepage at www.rumjog.com. You can go there and check out our perspectives page and hear more podcast episodes, read some articles. It's some pretty interesting stuff. You can get access also to our digital disruption series. This is a meetup that we do mostly in New York and New Jersey area where we discuss the impact of these technologies on our society and the way we live and work. We do this alongside of industry experts in various fields like crowdsourcing, automation, and blockchain. 
uh, the, the, the technologies that are disrupting our world today. Anyway, if you like that, you can also follow us on social media uh, at Twitter on the handle at Rumjog. We look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you.